Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. To live above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with saints we know, now that's another story. (laughs) There are a lot of things that can cause disunity in the church. There are a lot of different things. Interpersonal conflict is one of them. Sometimes people just don't get along with each other, and that causes disunity in the church. Sometimes there are the so-called worship wars. This phrase started being used, I don't know, probably in the 90s, early 2000s, because a lot of different kind of new music was being introduced into the Christian uh, family especially in America, and different people had different opinions about using this kind of music or this kind or singing that or not singing that or doing this or doing that. And and people who, in their mind, have a certain belief that it ought to be this way would argue with people who believed it ought to be the other way. Politics definitely creates disunity. I've never seen it ever in America, quite like it is. I'm sure it's always been an issue, but it just seems like politics in America is very incredibly divisive. And unfortunately, sometimes that spills over into the church. Not In our church, we're not a political church. We don't take as a church political stances. But I'm thankful we have great diversity, and that includes people who believe different things politically. And in churches all over, sometimes people let the disunity out there create disunity in here. And then race often can create disunity. In the last two years, I think COVID and everything around COVID, not the disease itself, but Everything around COVID, how you approach it and mask and regulations and vaccines and uh, the role of civil authorities with the church, all of those kind of things. There's, there are just so many different things that can cause disunity in the church. And in light of all of these and others, remember, we do have an enemy that hates unity. How in the world can we have unity in the church? What can we do? Well, God's word for us this morning from Philippians chapter 2 is that the key to joy is unity. And the key to unity is humility. So to get joy, there has to be unity. And to get unity, there has to be humility. And we're going to see how that plays out. Let me begin reading in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. That verse that if you were already present in our service here Maybe you're tuning in online just now. Even the, I think Jim said, the memorizationally challenged people got. (laughs) In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not 
consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, let me set the stage. Let me set the context for this passage in Philippians 2. The church at Philippi was very near and dear to the Apostle Paul's heart. He's the one who wrote Philippians. This church was very near to him. He, he said it over and over how much he loved them, and they had great partnership together from the very first day uh, he showed up in, in, in Philippi. They were very near to him, but one challenge they faced was disunity. And so Paul in Philippians 2 discusses the importance of unity and how to achieve it. In spite of this great relationship that Paul had with them, there was a fly in the ointment. <laughs> there, there were at least two women in that new church, Yodia and Syndike, we, we learned from chapter 4 in Philippians, that had an issue with each other. In fact, Paul calls it out in chapter 4 and encourages them to think the same thing in the Lord. To think the same thing in the Lord. And he asked his helper to help them with that. These were good women. These were godly women. These were women that had, he said, who served with me and helped me. And we don't know that the seeds of disunity were limited only to that one relationship. But we do know that unity was a problem at Philippi. And in this passage that we're going to look at, Paul gives two actions that lead to unity. They're very important for all of us today. All of us today can take these two actions towards unity. And the first one is bring joy by being like-minded. Verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Now, the word if that keeps appearing there is really best understood as the word since. This is not only true in the Greek language, but it's true in English language. We use it often. This is not like us saying, if springtime arrives next week, we'll all be happy. <laughs> that would be true, but that's a pretty big if, right? <laughs> that's pretty conditional. Maybe I would say to you, if, if you drove in your car to this church gathering this morning and you're going to drive home, please be careful out there. That, that's a sense. <laughs> since you did. I, I think most everybody here drove or rode with someone. So since you did that, then we want you to do this. That's what Paul is saying here in Philippians 2. Since these things are true, 
I'm going to call on you to do something. I'm going to call on you to be like-minded. What, what things are true? Encouragement in Christ. This is written to believers. If you're a Christian, here's what you have. You have the comfort by virtue of our relationship with Christ. You have comfort from his love. Love brings consolation. The one who knows us best loves us the most. If there's any common sharing in the spirit, that word translated in some versions as fellowship means partnership, participation. And when you become a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit is sent to live inside of you and you are now participating and fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. If any tenderness and compassion, Christ showed us compassion when we became Christians. So the Philippians brought Paul a lot of joy. But he tells them in verse 2 a way to make his joy complete. You see, if all of these things are true, or since all of these things are true, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, being one in spirit and purpose. Harmony among the Philippians would make Paul more joyful. Now, let's just get real here. As Christians, we don't all think alike. We don't all agree on every issue, and we're not necessarily called to agree on every single issue. Now, we agree on the fundamentals of the faith, right? The things of, like the, the inspiration of the Scripture, the deity, virgin birth of Christ, Christ as the only road to salvation, the only way to salvation. Those are things we must agree on to be Christians, of course, But there's all kind of things that we don't agree on in the church as a whole. I'm not talking about harvest. I'm just talking about as a whole among believers. For example, whether all the spiritual gifts are in operation today. Whether a Christian parent should send her child to public school or Christian school or homeschool. Maybe the exact roles of women in church ministry. Or maybe masks, vaccines, the role of civil authorities. Paul himself recognized that there were going to be differences with Christians. And he didn't try to change how they thought about the differences themselves, like in Romans and Corinthians. So he's he's not urging 100% identical thinking. It's... It, It's not our goal to try to think the exact same thing about every issue. That's different than being like-minded. Being like-minded here is something different. We're not trying to create a bunch of robots that everybody thinks exactly alike on every part of Scripture that may not be as clear as others or it may not even speak directly to. What is like-mindedness? Paul, what do you mean be like-minded? Well, if you trace here in the next few verses, Paul is going to tell us there's one command. There's a, there are a lot of words in verses 2 to 4, but there's one command, and the one command is make my joy. It's right there in yellow or gold. Make my joy complete by being like-minded. That is the one command. And now this harmonious living or like-mindedness He fills it out, what it looks like, and he shows us five different things, five expressions of what harmonious living is. The first one is having the same love. That's what it's like when I'm like-minded with somebody. I have the same love 
for them that Christ has for them. The next one is being one in spirit. It's being in complete accord. Literally, it reads one sold. S-O-U-L-E-D. One sold. Then the next one is and of one mind. This is having one purpose, having the same purpose together. It's, it's a picture of a life that is going towards a, a single goal and everybody's going towards that goal together. Let me ask you a question. How many of you remember that fateful day in our country's history, 9-11? Do you remember where you were when you heard about that? How many of you remember exactly where you were? How many of you weren't born yet when 9-11 came? There, there are a few. I remember where I was. I was in kindergarten. I was leaving the playground. Oh, well, no, not exactly. <laughs> we had moved to Charlotte to, to plant harvest, and at that point we didn't have any property or facilities or anything. We were meeting. We had offices up in the northern part of Huntersville, and, and I remember I went to... Um, uh, the Cornelius Y, Lake Norman Y. I'd gone to the Y, worked out, came into the office, and then, boom, heard about this thing. And you remember all the emotions that surrounded that? People were angry and people were fearful and this and that and the other. But something happened in our country. It was a terrible, horrible tragedy but something happened over the next few weeks and months that I haven't ever seen happen before. It's like we weren't, it didn't seem like we were Democratic Americans and Republican Americans. It didn't seem like we were white Americans or black Americans or Hispanic Americans. It just seemed like we were Americans, right? There was a, a unity of mind and purpose. And if, if that can be true in a country, surely this is what God, this is the kind of thing, not that we're all alike or we all think alike, but, but this is the kind of one spirit and purpose that Paul is calling for. And then number four, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. This is humbly regarding other people as better than yourself. There will not be harmony without humility. Humility starts in our mindset. It's how we think about ourselves and it's how we think about others. If we are doing what society promotes, and that is looking out for number one, we'll never have unity because we'll be looking out for our own ambition. Paul says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition. This is a speaks of selfishness or a selfish rivalry or don't do anything out of vain conceit. That's the opposite of living for God's glory. Vain conceit is living for you. Looking out for yourself destroys community. Now, what's the antidote? The antidote is here. In humility, value others above yourselves. Now, think about the setting in which this command was given. This was in the first century, Roman Empire. Philippi was a Roman colony, and the way they viewed people was very much uh, based on a social order, right? 
So when you met someone, if they were a slave or they were a freed person or they were a Roman citizen or maybe a senator, you you automatically looked at them and viewed them in a certain way based on that. I think we don't have such strict things like uh, the caste system in India. I, I read earlier this week, Philip Yancey was talking about talking to a pastor in India who said, you know, in some of the other, the non-Christian context, Muslim and Hindu and places, they can kind of replicate almost everything the Christian church does. But one thing they can't replicate is the way that people from different castes can worship together. We do it in America, right? You walk into a, a gathering, you meet new people, somebody walks up and let's say there's a, they say, I'm a, uh, I'm a, I'm a governor. And then you meet a CEO and then maybe a professional athlete. And the next person says, I'm a sanitation worker. Aren't you automatically going to think something about them by nature? Well, Paul is saying, consider others, all others, better than yourselves. Now, let me qualify. This is not about having a poor self-image. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about biblical selflessness. That's what he's, that's what he's at after. And then he goes on in verse four to give us the fifth one. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. This is unselfishly focusing on the needs of others. Looking. That, that's a strong word. It means to look intently at something, to fix your attention on something. What, what, what's going on with others? What are their needs? Not, not what are my needs, but what, what are their needs? What, what are their desires? What, how can I serve them? How can I help them? What would it feel like to be in their shoes? See, see if you can relate to this story. Um, what Kevin Miller, an editor in suburban Chicago, wrote in the, the little ma- uh, men's magazine, Men of Integrity. He says this, I'd finished mowing the lawn and it seemed like a perfect time to spray weed and feed on the grass. Except I didn't have any weed and feed. So I told my wife, I'm going to the store. She said, but the kids and I are waiting for you to go to the pool with us. Okay, can you have you relate already? That can wait, I said. Honey, she said, we promised the kids we'd all go. Next thing I knew, we were having a heated argument. I knew what I wanted and what she wanted could wait. And Kevin says, most of us stumble over the words of Ephesians 5.21 because we're concentrating on what's fair. But if we insist on playing out our marriage that way, we only bring pain to our spouses and others. God wants us to spare that pain, or God wants to spare us that pain, so he gives us a better way, submitting to one another. 
That doesn't come naturally. Scripture has to remind me. Exaltation comes after humility. You have to descend into greatness. That's what this is talking about. Not looking to your own interests, but looking to the interests of others. Well, the second step or action that Paul gives that leads to unity is to choose to maintain Jesus' attitude of humility and sacrifice. And this is what is described in verses 5 through 8. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Do you see the context? He's, he's talking about unity. He's talking already about humility. He's talking about selflessness. He's talking about how they need to do that with each other. And by extension, of course, we need to do it with each other. And now he's going to give us an incredible example. Maintain the same attitude that Jesus had. Literally, it reads, think this in yourselves, and it's in the present tense. So it's keep thinking this, maintain this attitude, not just occasionally, but maintain this attitude, continually have it. And, and he tells us, he goes on to tell us in verse 6, how Jesus modeled humility, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. What, what did he do? The first thing he did is he refused to consider privileges in terms of their advantages to him. Most of us here or listening online have privileges. We've been giving, given privileges. Jesus had incredible privileges. He was God. He was equal with God the Father. He existed for all eternity as God. But he didn't consider those privileges as something to grasp. As something to be used for his own advantages. It's a concessive clause here. Although he possessed. Because you, you could translate that being in very nature God as although he eternally possessed the divine nature. That's what it's saying about him. He had the divine nature forever. And being, although he possessed that, and that meant he was equal with God, because if you have the divine nature, you're equal with God. What did he do? Where does the concession come in? The concession is he took a, a different action. So, for instance, okay, I see my friend Colt back there. And I... I'm a Carolina fan. He's a Duke fan. I could say, although he is a Duke fan, I still accept him. Right? I've given the concession and I still do the action in spite of it. I didn't say I accepted Duke. I said I accepted him. Although he possessed this nature, what did he do? Well, first, he didn't consider Equality with God, something to be used for his own advantage. This is, word consider is, is a word about evaluating. It's about assessing a situation. Again, humility starts in our mindset. It's how do we assess things? 
And what did he not consider? His equality with God. You almost could translate that his divine lifestyle. Because he's, Paul has already told us that he is equal with God and he's, he's, he's possessed that forever and eternally. Jesus is always God, always has been God and always will be God. But this is picturing what it was like when he was in heaven before he ever came to earth. So while he was there in heaven, what did he do? He didn't consider that manner of existence, that, that divine lifestyle, if we use that, uh, vernacular, he didn't consider that as something he needed to grasp for himself. It would have been very easy to do that, right? I'm staying right here in heaven. I'm pretty comfortable in heaven with these angels worshiping me. Why would I want to go to earth and become a human and suffer what I'm going to suffer? You see, you see, we don't often get a, a picture into Jesus' mindset, but we get it right here in Philippians too. He didn't consider all of that manner of existing as something to grasp after, something to clutch for himself. And that's something to grasp indicates a treasure that you already possess and hold on. So, for instance, if you give an ice cream cone to a two-year-old, they're going to they're gonna hold on to it, right? You're not going to come back up to them and say, hey, can I trade you this cough syrup for that? They're, they're, it's something they're going to hold on to, right? Jesus didn't view his divine lifestyle as something to hold on to. But verse 7, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He emptied himself to live an unbelievable life. Jesus emptied himself. That's what this word, word group that's translated, he made himself nothing. It's like literally he himself, he emptied in the original. He emptied himself. Well, what did he empty himself of? Theologians have spent a lot, spilt, spilt a lot of ink on that through the, through the centuries. He definitely did not empty himself of his divinity or his divine attributes. He's already said that. He eternally, he was in nature God. He was God. But again, he emptied himself of his existing in a manner equal with God. Like he was in heaven before he came. His divine lifestyle. And so there are then now, that's the main verb, he emptied himself. How? Then there there are two more descriptions. These two participles describe what it means that he made himself nothing. First of all, uh, by assuming the, the nature of a servant, that should be a small one, not a small two. A servant, a bond slave, what a low term. What a terrible term of abasement. But that's what his nature was. Jesus didn't have to come to human history at all. But think about it. If he were going to come, he could have come as a farmer, a landowner, could have come as a king, but he was a simple carpenter. And, and he took on the nature 
of a servant. He told his disciples, I, son of man didn't come to, to be served, but to serve. That, that's, he, he assumed the nature of a servant. And then the second way he emptied himself, which is number three there, <laughs> is by appearing as a man. He appeared in human form, in human being made in human likeness. This is the incarnation. This is God in the flesh, Jesus, and he's fully God and fully human at the same time. This is the way he's appearing. That's the deity of Christ, fully God, fully human. Now, you remember that scene in the Wizard of Oz near the end? you haven't seen it, close your ears. This might be a spoiler alert. The wizard, right? The wizard. Oh, man, I was so disappointed when I was a kid and I saw the, who the wizard really was. The wizard was just a man back there behind the curtain, right? And he had this big smoky thing, the great wizard. He wanted to appear like a wizard. And he was just a man. And that's the opposite of what Jesus did. He was God. And he came in appearance as a human. The third thing he did was he humbled himself to die an unbelievable death. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He was fully obedient to whom? To God the Father. To what extent? To death and even death on a cross. Not, not just an ordinary death. Not just that he would live and die, but, but by being crucified on a cross. Now, to us, the, the cross is a religious symbol. An important religious symbol. But in that day, it was a horrible thing. It was... Crucifixion was something that was reserved for robbers and assassins and people like that. It was not something that people would ever think well of in any way. The Roman senator Cicero said, Far be the very name of the cross, not only from the body, but even from the thought, the eyes, the ears of Roman citizens. This is what Jesus did for us. This is what Jesus did for you. So Paul London was a missionary from Africa, and he came and spoke at a missions conference. And he gave a a depiction of the great theology in Philippians 2. Philippians 2 is loaded with theology, and it's loaded with practical, both, right? The practical is just live this way with each other, be humble and serve and be united. And it's based on this incredible thing about Jesus. So London stands up at this missionary conference, and he says at the... The tribe in Africa where we serve, the strongest man in the village is the chief. And he wears a very large headdress and heavy ornamental robes. And everybody knows he's the strongest man in the village. And they have wells because water is scarce. They're not wells like you and I know them where there's a bucket and a rope and you go down and get a little bit of water. But they dig very deep into the ground, maybe a hundred feet deep to get 
where there can be water. And one of the reasons they dig so deep is so enemies won't come in and steal the water that's needed in that village. And they, in the, in the walls going down the hundred feet, they cut slits. That's all they do. They cut alternating slits on this side and this side and this side and this side. And the way they get water is a man, a strong man, because it takes somebody very strong to go a hundred feet down and then lift this water and bring it back up. A, a man will go down the well step to step to step to step and one day a man was getting water and he fell and broke his leg and was laying at the bottom of the well and nobody in the village dared help him because nobody was strong enough to bring that man back up the hundred feet so they go tell the chief they summon the chief the chief shows up He assesses the situation, and here's what the chief does. The chief takes off his ornamental headdress. He removes his heavy ornamental robes, and he goes down the well to the bottom, puts the man on his shoulders, and carries him back to the top to safety and here is what Paul London says about that this is just what Jesus did for us he came down to rescue us by taking the weight of our sin on himself he put aside his heavenly honors just as the chief put aside his headdress and robe in order to save us. Isn't that good? (laughs) And I just want to say again to you, I hope you never get used to hearing it, and maybe some of you are hearing it for the first time. You and I are just like that man who fell and broke his ankle and could not save himself. That's what sin did to all of us. And we can't rescue ourselves and religion can't rescue us. But Jesus can and did. And he descended to die for us. And I hope that you have opened your heart and life to him by faith. But London asked a question after he told that story. He said, when that chief took off his headdress and robe, did he stop being the chief? No, of course not. In the same way, when Jesus, quote, made himself nothing and put aside his heavenly glory, he never ceased being God. That's what Jesus did. That's who he is. And that's what God wants us. That's the mindset God wants us to adopt for people. So what were the results? What happened because Jesus did this? Well, God was glorified. Verse 9, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God is glorified. And there is joy Remember Paul had said earlier, make my joy complete. How? By having the same love, being one 
in mind, one in spirit and one mind. So what we're looking at this morning is two actions that lead to unity. Bring joy by being like-minded and choose to maintain Jesus' attitude of humility and sacrifice. Do that with your coworkers. Do that with your spouse. Do that with your children, with your parents, with your fellow church members. We're talking in these days about what it means to pray in Jesus' name. There's some phrases in this passage, even though it's not a passage about prayer. Fundamentally, there's some passages that help us know what it means to pray in Jesus name. The mind which was also in Christ Jesus, that speaks to Jesus character. This is who Jesus is. So when we pray for unity, when we pray for humility, we're praying that we will adopt the character of Christ. That's praying in Jesus name. What about in Christ over and over in Christ? Let the, this, it was in Christ that speaks of his merit. He's the only way. He's the one that rescued us. He's the one to whom we pray and through whom we pray. Every knee will bow. This speaks of his power and authority. He is Lord. So when we pray for unity, we're, we're calling on a powerful God and his powerful son. And then we go outside of Philippians 2 in John's, uh, Jesus' prayer in John 17. He prayed for his disciples that were there and all that would come, that all of them may be one. Unity, that, that's, that's God's priority. God's priority is unity. He wants us to be one. So that's why we say today, the key to joy is unity. And the key to unity is humility. So let's add just a little bit to it as we wrap it up. And praying for this is praying. In Jesus' name. The key to joy is unity. The key to unity is humility. And praying for this is praying in Jesus' name. Leonard Bernstein, the celebrated conductor, was asked one time, what's the most difficult instrument to play? Without hesitation... He said, second fiddle. He said, I can, I can get plenty of first violinists. But to find someone who plays the violin with his, and plays the second part with as much enthusiasm as somebody would play the first part is hard. And whether it's that or the second French horn or the second flute, now that's a problem. And yet, if no one plays second, we have no harmony. Let's bow our heads, please. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.